What's up? Episode 6, Willie Show Podcast, the awesome episode featuring Awesome Tom, featuring Uncle Danny, featuring Katy Perry, featuring The Return of Gregory, Garbage Head Fairy Tales. What do you guys think? Oh, we're back. Oh, we're back. We're not gonna let uh, we're not gonna let this podcast be the one that got away. Uh uh-uh. uh, our numbers are down, but our spirits are up. We got no emails, and uh, yeah, what's up with that, guys? What's going on? Um, are you tired of listening to Willie Show podcast? I can't, I can't imagine you ever would be. So we're gonna get right into the show. It's another long one. We're calling this the awesome. Awesome episode, awesome show podcast, because we have Mr. Awesome himself, Awesome Tom, breaking it down on his first appearance. I'm imagining he'll be a recurring guest. We got a really cranky Uncle Danny, which we're going to get right into. The return of my boy Gregory. I've said this all twice now, but I don't have an email to read. So please, please keep the emails coming. Willie Show Podcast. At gmail.com, so we can read them on the air. The results of the poll are in, and it's split 50-50. So Uncle Danny's interview from last week is officially going into the Lost Tapes. And we got some big stuff coming up. We got some huge stuff coming up. And I can't unveil it yet, because I don't even know if it's true. But if it's true, it's going to take this podcast to a whole new level. And we're going to talk about drugs today. And we're going to talk about recovery today, and we're going to talk about, it's just damn nice to talk to you guys. So, um, yeah, let you know what, let's just, let's, it's enough out of me. You're going to hear plenty from me, so let's just get right into it today. What's up? What's going on with you? I don't know. What's going on with you? Nothing. Same old, same old. You home? Nope. Where are you? Technically, I'm still at the office. Why are you still at the office? Um, because I'm waiting, finishing some stuff up before I go to the meeting. What kind of meeting you got? You going to AA? Uh, Huh? Masons. Oh, that's real secret stuff. Oh yeah, you know. You don't Extremely want to. You don't want to talk about that. <laughs> you definitely don't I'll want to talk about, about whatever that. Whatever you want me to talk about. Okay, you ready? I got a bone to pick with you. Oh, here we go. What hat? What's going on? With? What episode are you on? <laughs> uh, still the same one I was on last time. Episode two. Yep. Danny, or as uh, Uncle Danny. 
<laughs> yes. My numbers are way down. What? Way down. They can't be way down. Do you want to know why? Why? Because you're 150th of the viewers and you're not listening. 150th? Yeah. Dude, my last down? my last episode or episode four s- s- viewed at like fifty one. I'm only on like seventeen this week. I put a poll up because I put your interview on it, the one we did the other week. Yep. And I stopped it halfway through. And then I put a poll up for the listeners, and they were supposed to answer whether or not they wanted to hear the rest of it. Okay. Because it probably wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> we just rambled on about nothing. It was, it was it was a long ramble. It was a long ramble, and I've gotten two responses on the poll. Right? Okay. One of them's me. <laughs> One of your responses is yourself. Yes. <laughs> and your response was? Yeah, I want to hear more of you. <laughs> My response was a resounding yes. The other one was Kenny, who's a faithful, faithful listener. One of the best. Probably going to have to bring him on. Looking forward to that. And I want to talk about these episodes with you. I want your feedback. So can you cancel family? Oh, no, you're going to a meeting tonight, right? Yeah. What I happened to family movie night? Home. What do you mean what happened to Family Movie Night? How can you have... I thought Family Movie Night was Wednesday. That was last Wednesday. Oh, it's not a weekly thing. No, no, not a weekly thing. I think you need more balance in your life. I need more balance in my life. Yeah. You need, like, a schedule. You need, like... Do you think your life is unmanageable? Unmanageable? No, nobody's life is unmanageable. You don't think that? No. That's the first step... Of recovery, Danny. Is what? Admitting we were powerless and that our lives are unmanageable. Oh, okay. Well, I've failed that course. (laughs) When I was doing drugs, was my life manageable? Uh, I would say no. But you just said nobody's life is unmanageable. Well, I mean, all things being equal. How's that? So I'm not your equal? Oh, my God. This is rough, Danny. Jeez. (laughs) You're just hitting me from all angles today. (laughs) This is a very tough day for us, huh? Uh, This is a tough one. This is is what it's like when brothers fight on a podcast. (laughs) I guess when, uh, yeah, unprovoked. Do you you still love me? (laughs) Every day. Aw, I feel a lot better. Can you please <laughs> listen to the episodes, please? Yes, on my way to the meeting, I will listen to one full episode for sure. Because I want to talk about drugs with you, and I want to talk about your reactions to... Do you know that I haven't even had you read the emails? Because I haven't not... had me read any emails since the one where I cried, no. You would have cried for every email. They've all been so good. Really? Yeah, I need you, Danny. This is, you know, I, I, I need, I need my Batman so I can be Robin, <laughs> or vice versa. I think I'm Robin in this case. <sighs> no, because Batman's older. <laughs> All right, 
right. You hit me deep there, too. What did you think about Michael Keaton returning as Batman? I love Michael Keaton as Batman. Did you see that during the Super Bowl? I did. What did you think of the Super Bowl? I thought the Super Bowl was uh, very entertaining. Are you attracted to pregnant Rihanna? Uh, um, I'm not attracted to Rihanna. What? She does nothing for me. No. The entire island country of Barbados hates you. <laughs> that could be. That could but, be true. Uh, I, I had no interest in... I have no interest in any halftime show, quite frankly. So, what about Paul? What about Paul McCartney, 2005? I couldn't tell you anything about it. What about Prince? I couldn't tell you anything about it. What about the famous Michael Jackson halftime show? I'm going to go ahead and say I couldn't tell you anything about it. What about 50 Cent hanging upside down last year? Wasn't that a shocker? The last one I can remember anything happening at is uh, when Janet Jackson was exposed by uh, Justin Timberlake. Did you like that one? No. (laughs) 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 Who would be your ideal halftime show? Uh, I don't. I'm just not interested in that at all. Halftime shows are boring. Do you know what else I was thinking about? What's that? I think you should sing to our listeners in early recovery. Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. You have the voice of a fucking angel. Oh, archangel. No, an actual hey, Danny. You have a beautiful, talented singing voice. You're te- a tenor one. Are you still a tenor one? I don't think so. No, me neither, I bro. I, I think I've moved down to two at least. Yeah. Not baritone. I'm like a double baritone. I'm like a double bass. <laughs> yeah. For the, yeah. For the listeners, you're going to be the uh, double bass. Yeah. I you're feel, all about the bass. I'm like Star-Lord pretending to be Thor. But you wouldn't <laughs> know about that. Nope. No. No. You know nope. what I really want to talk about, and I'm not going to on this episode? Uh, Drugs and alcohol. I want to talk about drugs. I need to find um, a drug guest. No, I was... So my Instagram keeps telling me that I should try ketamine therapy. And now they're offering ketamine therapy where they send it to you through the mail. And they give you like a blindfold. And they give you uh, like a playlist and a little notepad. And then a bunch of ketamine. Why, Why would you do that? Why would anybody in recovery do that? I don't know. Actually, I think it's a bad idea. But anyways, Instagram wants me to do it. Terrible idea. So then I was doing, so I went down the rabbit hole with researching this company for no reason. And, um, you know, they say that ketamine isn't addictive. But Uh, I I don't think that's a good rabbit hole to be down. I had a real problem with it. You know? And I don't understand why. So, like, they're like, it's not, it could be psychologically addictive, but not physically addictive, right? But there's all sorts of problems that people have that are addictive that aren't, is it only count to be addictive if you're physically dependent? Is that America's definition of addiction today, Uncle Danny? Is that your definition of addiction, Uncle Danny? I don't know that uh, America has great definitions on anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would go with that. Yeah, I think there's some real scandals going on in the recovery industry. Are you ready to expose them? Sure. Yeah? Why not? All right. Well, hey, I got Gregory calling in. I'm going to pick this up. It was great talking to you. Good talking to you, too. Okay.
Gregory? Yeah, speaking. What's up, dude? You're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're on the podcast right now? Yeah, I was just recording a riveting conversation with Uncle Danny about ketamine therapy and his beautiful singing voice, and then you called in, and honestly, I figured talk... I I think talking to you might be more fruitful than talking to Uncle Danny. Uh, is he still on the line? I hope not. I, Uncle Danny, if you heard that, I'm sorry. You know what my problem with Uncle Danny is? He's, he's your got, brother? Yeah, no, he's looked out for me my whole life. Um, yeah. Bro, he doesn't listen to the show. Oh. His job oh. is supposed to be to to read the emails and to comment on the past shows, right? Mm. How mm. can he comment on something he hasn't watched or listened to? Mm. <laughs> have you listened? At I all? sure have. Yeah, I have. I, I haven't heard four and five yet, but I've heard one through three. All right. Comment on first comment on our best guest so far, which was the first one, Gregory. <laughs> Do you have any comments on Gregory, Gregory? <laughs> I had fun doing that interview. Yeah, uh, I want to do more of that. Yeah. Yeah. What about Tracy? What was your feelings on Tracy? Did you listen Tracy, to that? Tracy was episode two or three? Episode two is Todd, and I know how you feel about Todd, so we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to that. How do you feel I about Todd? <laughs> I mean, you know, I like listening to Todd, you know, anywhere talking about his recovery. So, I, you know, it's fun. It was fun listening to him. Yeah. And then, you know, Tracy's like listening to an old timer, like, um, just, you know, in an AA room. Could you identify? Could you identify with Tracy at all? Can I identify with Tracy at all? It's a real question. He won't be offended. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to think if I really can relate to him. I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing, oh, I guess I'm trying to think of some things. Like, so he, uh, he was sober for 14 years just on his own kind of, the thing that I found the most interesting is that he stayed sober for 14 years just without, you know, AA or anything. Well, he started with AA and then he left the program. He left the program, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And like had a, and met a, and met a woman there and had a girlfriend and everything. Yeah. And then kind of went out and did his own thing and that and then I, some things fell apart in his life and he went back to drinking and then he really felt that he needed the program after that. So I mean, that whole that like the kind of way that that happened for him was really interesting for me and it it made me think about you know, people that get sober without going to AA or really having any recovery programs in their life, you know, I think that kind of stuff does happen. Um, oh, I, I think I, my current thoughts on it mm. is that um, that does happen. And so there's mm. different modalities of recovery out there, right? And yeah. Uh, Tracy has chosen the 12 step modality or the 12 step modality has chosen Tracy after living both, you know, he's lived correct. Both and as for long periods of time, you yeah, know? I was listening uh, to my favorite podcast, dopey podcast, and they had Bob Forrest. Do you know who Bob Forrest is? I, I don't. He worked with Drew Pinsky on the celebrity rehab and he uh, had an interesting theory about Suboxone. Which was that if you're on Suboxone, you don't need treatment. 
And his okay. his theory was that if you have chosen Suboxone, then that is the modal then you are choosing the modality of harm reduction. And so right. therefore you don't need to go to rehabs because you're on a harm reduction treatment. And I, I don't know if I believe that or not. You know, I just found that very interesting. And he said that a lot of the problems with Suboxone being overprescribed is the fact that treatments are the ones overprescribing it. And they're prescribing it to kids that are too young, you know, oh. 18, 19, that yeah. maybe don't need it. And he thinks that if you, you know, that's his whole thing. Have right. you ever have you ever tried any alternative recoveries? I call it alternative because I think twelve step is the one that we talk about the most on the show. So mm-hmm. I sure have. What, what? Um. So I um. The first one that I got interested in was uh, basically a book, and it was called This Naked Mind. Um. And the author is Annie Grace, and she has something called the alcohol experiment. Right. And what's the alcohol said, experiment? Can you break it down? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of break it down quickly. Um, so you basically, for a month, you sign up for the program, and it's online, most of it. And you, uh, basically, you, you, you're, you're not, you're not committing to staying sober for 30 days, but you're like committing to you know, seeing how your reaction to not drinking is. And okay. so, but, and they're there every day for guidance on that and the kind of the feelings that you might be going through. What no do you mean by there? Like you can contact them? Yeah. It, yeah. They're there and they put out a daily message for you to listen to every day. And they, and there's group chats and you can, and you can chat with them. So, I mean, this was a few years ago for me, so I don't but know you what, it, had, what um... it has become now. You had a positive experience with that, right? I sure did. How, um, and did you, did you wind up abstinent for that 30 days? I did. I was completely abstinent for that 30 days. And like easily, like I wasn't even obsessing or thinking about alcohol or cocaine for that whole period of time. What do you think? Do you think there's sneaky psychology behind that concept? It was like, it's your, you know, it's your choice. You know, I was reading something yesterday where it was like, they want to change, you know, how people either, people always ask themselves, am I an alcoholic or am I not an alcoholic, right? Like as if it's yeah. black or white. And right. this psychologist was posing the question, was saying instead of, you know, putting yourself in one category or the other, right? Yeah. Which means either you're the type of person that can drink safely or you're the type of person that <laughs> has to abstain forever. What you yeah. ask yourself is actually would Drinking less alcohol, not drinking alcohol, or doing less drugs be a benefit to me. Yeah. And they said that was an interesting place to start because then you don't have to have this crippling decision of the black or white all or nothing thing. And I found that kind of interesting. Right. And there's a program out called Sunnyside right now that's like an app right now. And it seems to kind of be targeted towards younger people a little bit. Uh-huh. But it's all it's all about that. It's like it's not about like quitting drinking. It's about maybe like, yeah, asking yourself those questions. Yeah, I think kids are um, and I know I was at that age, but I think kids are, you know, smoking a lot of weed and drinking a lot of alcohol to excess, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I don't sure. know. I don't. 
you know, I know you couldn't have told me shit at a young age, but I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing, especially, you know, all these studies coming out about marijuana and, and the development of like your frontal cortex and, you know, yeah. and they say like I after mean, 25 smoke away. Oh, really? Are they saying that? Wow. Yeah, well, not smoke away, but you're not inhibiting, yeah. you know, um, neurological development. Well, you know what I mean? I guess I'm fucked because, you know, I start smoking weed oh, yeah, every Jesus day from like, from, like, 15 on, you know? Like, I was smoking, a, like, a, you know, Rastafari, and I was smoking weed, so... I just find know. it all interesting to think and discuss, like, to... I, I wonder if I have developmental issues from, from early substance use, Do you want, LSD, do you want my including opinion? LSD and ecstasy and all that stuff. Do so. you want my opinion? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. It's a resounding yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you help me with this problem? <laughs> I'll fucking do anything I can. Um, yeah, uh, um, I so also. This is what I, so I want to go back to Tracy. So he, so he was spent fourteen years, and it seemed pretty effortlessly to him for those fourteen years. And what I think, and it's just my opinion, why he's so involved in the AA program now is that what I think AA offers is I think it's really kind of a spiritual program in general. And it makes you look at your, your behaviors as a human in general, like how you treat other people. It makes you think deeper, like more deeper than the addiction part. It tries to heal you like as a person. So like it kind of starts to, you start to deal with some of like the moral aspects of your life and the spiritual aspects of your life, which I think that every human should look at and probably somewhere inside wants to look at that aspect of their lives. Are so you, are you expecting life, me to say, disagree? What's that? Are you expecting me to disagree with you? No, I not, fucking no, agree no. with you, like pretty not much right. everything you said. <laughs> so I just, so I think people, and I'm not, so I think people, and that's not a negative thing. I think that not at you all. Know, so, but they say oh, I was dry for those four. Like he could say I was dry sober for those fourteen years, and to me, that's kind of like I don't like that when people say that about themselves. Like, you know, because I, you know, for me, I always like to work on my spiritual and moral life, and like I. You know, I, outside of AA, like, the AA is always trying to say, do service, service is good. I think service is good for any, but any human person in existence, whether you have addiction problems or not. I try to do service, whether it's helping somebody older in my family or so, helping somebody older in my community or helping children in my community. So, like, you know, you can do service outside of these things. Like, you know, for his, just for example, Trace is 14 years sober, Maybe if he was doing things, you know, to help himself and just his regular life, like exploring spirituality. He is. You know, he might have gotten fulfillment in those 14 years, but, you know, then he drank and then, you know, the darkness comes with drinking and abusing alcohol. Definitely darkness comes and you look for something to get you out of that and to find AA, like, it can be helpful. I, th I really think it can be. I mean, I think that's some of the things I like about it. Yeah, my thing that I like the most about the 12-step modality, um, definitely, yeah. but for, well, I, maybe not the most, but for me, it's the concept of you've been through something very similar to what I've been through, and therefore, I will trust you 
better than I would trust a quote unquote professional to tell me how you got through it. And then also after that, developing a sense of community, like, damn, I can really call up. I remember going back to the Tracy, I was in early recovery and I don't even know if it was Tracy that Tracy was moving. And I don't know if it was Tracy that asked me to help him move or someone else. Anyways, he was moving from one place to the other. Mm. Dude, like a dozen dudes showed up. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't a dozen dudes that showed up because they were going to get a cookie. And I was very early in recovery, and I was like... Yeah. Like, and then I think there was people there he hadn't seen in quite some time. So it was right. just the fact that there was a community of people that were just willing to help for the sole purpose of, oh, no, let me give you a hand. Mm. And I really paid attention to that, and I liked that. And I've seen that in, like, innumerable yeah. ways. I mean, how, so. could you th- how could you feel bad about that? I mean, it's right. people helping people. I just think they get stuck stuck in a box where they're like, oh, well, we're all alcoholics, so we have to help each other. And we're going to be this way forever. we got to help each other forever like this. And, you know, I think they, I think the, the AA mindset kind of, they get put, they put themselves in a box to some degree. You know, and it kind of separates them from the rest of humanity to some degree. Um, I don't know. If you listen, attitude that they're alcoholics. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, you know, well, you know. I don't disagree, but I don't agree. I know, like, uh, my sponsor when he he identifies himself at the beginning of when he qualifies. He always says I do service in and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know for a fact he does probably more service outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, with yeah. with people that don't identify. Mm. So while I I, I, I right. you know, anyways, I just think these conversations are very interesting. But how are you? Are. How are they you are. doing, Gregory? Yeah. <laughs> How's today going? Because also the other part is the forever statement. I don't agree with because we're supposed you know. It's supposed to be more about being in the now, being in the present moment. So, it's Wednesday night. It's 6.04. How are you doing right now? I I was calling you to see if we were going to go zoom into Dopey tonight. I think we are going to zoom into Dopey. Yeah. But you just happened to call me while I was talking to Uncle Danny, and then this conversation took precedence because... Why not? I mean, I, so I was excited about. It. I'm like, kind of like that's like kind of something new. For, I don't know if I don't know what Dopey's format is. I don't, I don't either. I don't. I don't, I don't have know a clue. If it's an AA meeting. I don't know. What I don't it is, think so. I think some of them are AA. Some NA. They have an actual harm reduction meeting. Yeah. Which I would be. I'd be uh, very curious to find out what a harm reduction Zoom meeting is like. Right. I'm not <laughs> against harm reduction. I've. I'm benefiting from an abstinence model right now in my life, and I don't want to change anything because I'm yeah. benefiting. No doubt. But, like, I do believe that there's people out there that, you know, um, their lives will be saved by harm reduction. And I don't no think doubt. you look, I don't think you thumb your nose down on anything. Especially like, Bob, uh, Bob Forrest was talking about a particular person that was a speedball shooter. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah. And when when she asked him about going on marijuana, and she had right. been to thirty treatments, right? She had been to thirty treatments. Yeah. Wow. And she was just, and she was a mess, and she was like a not give a shit kind of an addict. Like when she's using, she doesn't give a damn. Like burn it all down. Mm. 
and he and he and he said, "Listen, I'm not a huge proponent of harm reduction, but for you, if you could get by with smoking marijuana and not shooting speedballs, right, right." And he said, years later, she was doing great. Yeah. So it's about finding your own path in this life, and not and be and it's really about open mindedness and willingness. Yeah. For me. Sure. And staying. Sure. So yeah, no, dude, I want to kick dopey zoom tonight. That sounds so I much mean, fun. I mean, it sounds good. I mean, like, I've been, you know, I've been in rehab. I've been in outpatient Oasis certified groups. I've been in AA. I've been in alternative uh, methods like the Freedom Model and this naked mind you know so and i think i just get something out of everything like i think that's smart i think you gotta i think i think anyone should do that with that like you said like in in and out like uncle danny should do that when he's listening to the podcast if he ever does he should take (laughs) something from what you say and if he's smart, the next time I call him, he should be like, oh, you know that conversation you had with Gregory because you were pissed off about me for not listening to the podcast? This is what I got out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If well, maybe he doesn't want to hear his own voice or whatever. If so. he says that, I'll forgive him. <laughs> so, Uncle Danny, I, if you say that you listened to this conversation without being prompted, I forgive you. <laughs> All right, so I'll see you in, like, what, 50 minutes? 40 minutes? Yeah, let's do it. I'm all set up to do it, so. Dude, hell yeah. I think I'm going to try to get Webmaster Zeta to sit in on this, too. It should be interesting. I mean, you know, I only listen to one podcast from them, or one and a half or something. And yeah. They're exciting, and they're like, you know, I like their attitude about addiction. Man. That's cool. I'm into it. Celebrities and drug addicts, bro. What's not That's to great. like? It's the one thing I'm missing right now in my podcast is celebrities and drug addicts. I mean, it's like, it sounds like a fun thing to do uh, on a Wednesday night in the town that we live in, in the middle of boondocks. Like this, you know, this might be the most exciting thing that happens to us all week is going into this uh, Zoom uh, dopey. uh, You you know what the most exciting thing that happened to me is? Your Valentine's dinner last night. That was bomb, but we don't have, we don't have enough time to talk. No, my buddy Gregory calling me up. Mm. It was very exciting, and I'm glad you're back on the air, and I'm glad you're well. And I don't think you know how much everybody loves you, bro. But I'll <laughs> I'll tell you that everybody loves you, bro. Uh, me me especially. Oh. All right. All right. Glad talk, to be here. See talk you, to you see soon. You later. You're on episode yep. six. All right. Bam. All right. <laughs> so excited. All right. Improv. All right, cool. Okay. You asked for it, and I'm delivering. Here he is on this week's episode or installment of Garbage Head Fairy Tales. It's the one, the only, awesome time. Hey, Tom. What's going on? What's happening, bud? I was just about to call you. I said, well, it's 530. Boom, there you are. Oh, you were going to call me? That would be a first. <laughs> Normally, I call everybody else. So, what's up, buddy? Welcome. 
Thank you. What so? How do we do this? What uh, clue me in? Well, first off, we're doing it right now. We're okay. already doing it, so it's not that hard. Second off, have you ever? Do you know what a podcast is? Uh, well, I know I've heard of it. Have I ever seen one? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So a podcast is basically almost like uh like an audio show. Right. And then people who have streaming platforms can listen to it. Okay. So this podcast is kind of like a drug and alcohol slash recovery podcast. Cool. If that makes sense. Yes, yes it does. Um and I thought you might have some insight on some things. Okay. But really, so what happened was, is the other day, we were all at the bonfire meeting. Yeah. And I got this thought in my head, like, you know, I should really ask Tom to be on the show. (laughs) And it came out of nowhere. And it was one of those thoughts where I was like, man, I should follow through with this thing. Yes. So yesterday, it was bugging me again. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to call him. Like, why not? Yes. So we can talk as long or as little as you want, but I was also thinking like, you know, years in the future, it might be nice to have your story on tape because <laughs> it probably would still be helpful to a newcomer. Well, you never know. You never know who's listening. Um, we get emails and stuff. And I got an email last week from someone that listens in their car and has never attended any meetings and uses isolation as a coping mechanism. Yeah. And they said they started to feel a little bit of love by listening to the podcast and started to open their mind a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, (laughs) getting an alcoholic to listen is the tricky part. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh. Uh, there's an old saying in AA, if somebody doesn't want to get sober, you can't say the right thing. And if somebody wants to get sober, you can't say the wrong thing. <laughs> what was your experience like getting sober? Oh, it was god awful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we won't, we won't skip it hard, man. But, uh, you know, I like to ask people first, like, do you remember, like, what was it like growing up for you, Tom? You grew up oh, in this well, area? Yes, I did. I'm 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 a local redneck. I was born and raised here. Uh-huh. Uh, I I grew up on a farm, and when I was ten years old, my friend's dad moved away, and so all the both kids in the neighborhood moved away, and I was left alone. So, needless to say, I was uh, poor and an outsider. So I didn't make too many friends in high school. Uh, that was not until drinking entered the picture. <laughs> Do you remember when you first started drinking? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I'm a true alcoholic. Um, I remember my first beer. It was Carling Black Label, and I was sitting on my daddy's knee, and he said, you want some? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I loved it from the first hit. Now, only an alcoholic will remember that label, the colors... The flavor, the taste, I can still smell it. <laughs> and and uh, and it was just a sip? Yeah. yeah. How old do you think you were? Uh, I think I was about five or six years old. <laughs> That's a good start. 
Yes. And then the next chance was I was eight years old on the farm and it was haying season. And the men from the farm looked down at the end of the day and said, you work like a man today, boy. Here, have a have a beer. Well, let me tell you, on an empty stomach, after you've been out haying in the July sun <laughs> and you're hot and sweaty and oily and sticky and itchy and nasty and you got an empty belly and that beer hits you, it, wow. 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 Sounds <laughs> and, fantastic. Oh, yes. I mean, come on. Male ex- approval and and a beer with the men on the farm and you worked like a man and wow. So what was the farm like? Did you guys have cattle? Did you, was it alive? Was well, it- no, it wasn't me. It was my neighbors. They had uh, uh, four little cows. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was a tiny farm. Uh, but everybody in the neighborhood, there was a chicken farm up the street uh-huh. and they were just a little local farm that just farmed for their own needs. Okay. So how much so- hay would you do? Um, I don't know, thousand bales. Thousand bales. I've done a lo- I've done a little bit of hay chucking myself. I actually, it's funny. I work at a gravel bank now, and um, when they pull me off to do a little bit of hay work, I love yep. it. I love it. You know, <laughs> you're out in the hot sun and you're itching, and they're the square <laughs> balers chucking them at you, and you're stacking them, and, uh, and right. Uh, well, back then I was too little to know about beer, and when that first beer hit i you know i later learned that when i was arrested that from that point on i went chasing it yeah you know i chased the high i didn't know that until i was 30 years old and <laughs> my wrist was chained to the police station wall and did you drink had, a lot in high school what uh no because there wasn't that many opportunities but i drank at every opportunity that i could get yeah See, what I consider myself a professional alcoholic because I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old and I was down by the local swimming hole Uh and I had my little guitar and all of a sudden one day a truck pulled up and it was a loud, noisy old beat up pickup truck and there were kids inside and they're yelling and screaming and carrying on like teenagers and I said, nope, this is no place for me, time to get out of here. So I packed up my guitar and I was about to walk up the bank and there was this guy, Nick. And, uh, you know, at that time, everybody was bigger than me. And I called him Big Nick. (laughs) Yeah. And he says, hey, kid, can you play that thing? And I went, yeah, you know, scared out of my mind. So I squeaked out three chords for him. He says, not bad, kid. Want a beer? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want a beer. I know what that is. So. We had a couple of beers and we sang some songs and they invited me to play at the cake parties later on that week up in Sampsonville. Oh my so, God, you've arrived. Oh, yep, yep, I had arrived. <laughs> so I used to go sing for my beer. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, to a kid, yeah, you know. Absolutely. You're with, you're, you're 14 years old, you're with 21-year-olds, you're drinking beer, you're singing country songs, you're being wild and crazy. Come on, that's every kid's dream. It's every- <laughs> well, you know what's funny is, um, it's certainly my dream, but like my brother, he's on the show a lot, and uh, you know, we grew up in the same household, I grew up alcoholic, he didn't. 
Wow. You know, and uh, that's certainly no dream of his. Huh. And that's kind of like my alcoholic mind. I always thought, well, isn't this what everybody wants? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it, it's looking back, it's like uh, my friends drank, but not to the level I did. And yeah. they didn't drink excessive. And they didn't ruin their lives like I ruined mine. So did you ever get in like stupid trouble? Oh, yeah. I got several DWIs. That's how I... I got introduced to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Was DWIs your first trouble, or did you get in dumb fights? Were you a scrapper as a kid? Oh, well, there was always dumb fights, but there wasn't many of them. Uh Uh, I was a pretty happy drunk, but most of my troubles that are directly relatable to alcohol uh, were DWI. Um, Not so much getting beat up, although that... (laughs) There was that in there, too, but we just figured that was a good Saturday night. <laughs> that was just a good Saturday night. You don't remember any good getting beat up stories? Oh, what? oh uh, let's see. Uh, I got out of hand one night on, on out in Tannersville. Uh, it was five beers for a buck, <laughs> and... I just had my new truck then, and my buddy Kurt and I went out there with a pocket full of money, and we were drinking like crazy, and I was trying to dance with the head biker's chick, and I didn't know it because I was sloshed out of my mind, and five bikers beat the crap out of me, and I still survived and staggered to the truck and was so bad that my buddy Kurt had to (laughs) take me home and... Actually, I got beat up worse by him because he was drinking Coke out of the old glass bottles and clocked me in the head when we went around a turn. Oof. I was in the seat. So, <laughs> you know, there's always, uh, you know, in retrospect, there's always stupid disasters. Yeah. But oh, being yeah. an alcoholic, I loved it because I survived, you know. You love the chaos. Yeah, whatever. I mean... As long as there was alcohol, I didn't care of the consequences until the consequences got so great that I couldn't avoid them. Yeah, I I actually really had a hard time connecting my drinking with the consequences I was having until after I had stopped drinking. You know, I, I thought there was something internally wrong with me. I thought there was something different about me than the rest of the world. You know what I mean? And when oh, yeah. and looking back, you know, I didn't always get in trouble when I was drinking, but boy, all my <laughs> all the big trouble I got in, I was drunk. Yes, exactly. And it wasn't until I was putting in forced therapy that you know it's like, no, it was normal to uh, work all all week and drink like a maniac on Friday and Saturday and sober up Sunday and kick the dog and beat the wife and do it all over again. That's what everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> No, not everyone no. does that. <laughs> so when did you get your first DWI? Oh, that was 92, 91, 92. Do you, what was the circumstances with that one? What? Oh, well, I just driving back from after a night. See, I have a disease that uh, when the party's over, I'm going to go home and drink more. I can't sit still. Oh, I'm the same way. So I'm going to drive. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> there's this there's this comedian, and she says, um, she says, you know what I miss about drinking? She says, driving. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it goes hand in hand. You can't be wherever you are. You cannot be in yourself. Well, you yeah. always have to get somewhere else. Not living up here where we live. Well, know, like. that's, you know, I I learned highly uh, quickly that drink or driving is a privilege. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how old were you when that happened? Uh, I was, uh, God, how old was I? I was 26. I was 36 years old when the, the final DWI happened. So, but first, so, so the from the time you were, was, the first one happened when I was eighteen. So, oh, okay. So the first one happened when you were eighteen. So that was your first real taste of trouble, right? But that didn't stop you. No, and it what, slowed down. It, it, you know, it, huh. it did. I'm a slick alcoholic. Oh, I can figure a way around this. <laughs> yeah, don't drive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what was the consequences like back then for a DWI? It's different than it is now, right? Uh, well, I was one of the last ones to receive the, the blessing of three years probation. <laughs> uh, okay, they didn't take your license? Uh, well, they did uh, on the third one, but they didn't on the first one. It was reduced to an uh, AI and uh, temporary suspension uh-huh. uh, and had to attend a uh, drinking driver class. Uh, the, the second one was uh, a six-month suspension, attention a DWI class, and then the victim's impact panel. And then the final one was, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so, so the first one, you were just coming back from a party 18 years old. What was up with the second one? Uh, geez, the same. No, I was just drinking and driving because there was no place else to go. Gotcha. <laughs> nice old pickup truck. Yeah, well, it wasn't nice. It was yeah. a pickup truck and it ran. And you know, pickup truck and it, was, it, it ran. was a pop magnet. <laughs> so what's your what's your beer? I I figured we'd be talking a lot about beer. So what was it? What was it? Were you a beer head? Yes, yes, yeah. predominantly. Yep. Predominantly a beer guy. Yeah, uh, hard alcohol made me pass out too quick. <laughs> what kind of beer? Uh, whatever was on sale. Okay, PBR. I, I went to a whole snooty European kick for a while, but oh, that sure. was too heavy on my poor boy pocketbook. So. I, I used to call that the green bottle flu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So PBR, Genesee Cream Ale... Oh, Bud Light, Light, Miller, uh, Rolling Rock, whatever. Oh, (laughs) Tom, Tom, I loved Rolling Rock. (laughs) Me and my wife would get these fancy, fancy beers and wines and stuff. Like, you wouldn't believe what we'd pay for a four-pack of beer. And then I'd get a bunch of Rolling Rock deuces because they were 99 cents. Yes. You know, there's a nice big can for 99 cents. So in one in one part of the night, I'm drinking fancy, you know, and then once I get to drink the way I like to drink, it was Rolling Rocks, and then for a little bit, they had the Bud Light 18-ounce bottles, and okay. they were 88 cents before tax and deposit, so for one clean dollar bill, you got your 18-ounce beer, which I thought was a deal. Not compared to, what would you say, five for a dollar? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you've watched the price of alcohol go up. 
Well, I was I was here at the the turn of the. Uh, you could only buy them in twelve packs or cases of twenty four, and then they went to the thirty pack. Not that we're an alcoholic nation or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so DWI number one, no one's talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Nope. <laughs> DWI D- number two, never mentioned. At least nothing you remember hearing. No, no. Oh, there were, yes, there was one mention in class about, you know, if you drink more than this, you're an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Uh, but other than that, no, no, no treatment centers, treatment centers, rehab, uh, any of the devastation that alcohol creates was not mentioned until I was in probation for my third DWI. Okay, I mean, we're skipping ahead pretty fast. Was there was there any problems at work? Well, like, no, I worked myself. There couldn't be any problems. <laughs> oh, so you were always self-employed. Uh, yeah. Uh, most of my life I was. So if things didn't agree to me, well, I mean, I worked for old people. And old people didn't want me at their house before 9 o'clock. So that gave me plenty of time to drink a pot of coffee and Put, put in Visine and brush my teeth. and <laughs> That's funny. I thought I was the only one that had like a lifetime supply of Visine. No. <laughs> you know, and there's no amount of Visine that gets that look out of your face. No, the, the puffiness stays, but they didn't care because I worked like a dog. Oh, I bet you did. So like mechanical work or just work around the house? Good old boy well, work? Well, all right. It started out many years ago. I would push people's lawnmowers, and then they figured out I could fix them. But it was gutter cleaning and house painting and wood stacking and yard raking and gardens, anything maintenance around the house that the old people needed done. And you and you could make a living doing this. Uh, not a great one, but you know you get you got enough to keep most of the bills down in a and another twelve pack, and off you go. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a simple life to me, to be honest. Like well, a good life. Only if your brain is clouded with alcohol is it a good life. Okay. <laughs> you know, the reality was the the anesthesia kept me from knowing, caring, or understanding the... Uh, the physical abuse I was under because I didn't care. Yeah, I was just going to say, were you at the, t- do you remember being miserable? Like, were you, you know, do you remember? I mean, these are, no, you know. I was a moose. You could beat on me all day and I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Know? That makes a lot of sense to me knowing you. No, I grew up on the farm. Oh, a little pain's good for you. Yeah. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I was giving. <laughs> As Refrigerator Bob used to say, what I knew was killing me, what I didn't know would save my life. Okay. You know, all that all that John Wayne crap, you know. A little hard work I never hurt anyone. Well did, did you have did you have the Did you have guys in the community that you looked up to, you know? Like the uh, legends no. of the area? No, no. I mean there was there was much greater drunks than I was and I said well, I'm not that bad. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so I, I, I more often looked away, like, well, he's way worse than I am. <laughs> so you Only, were, so you were existing, and you were pretty happy. Well, from I, the outside. Yeah, I was delusionally shot. I didn't, you know. Uh, 
life was always miserable and depressing. And the only thing that ever made me happy was drinking and hard labor. Because if you worked hard and you paid your bills, you could get drunk. You were a man. Everybody left you alone. Yeah, you were kind of doing the quote unquote right thing at that point. Well, or the, you know. I wore a baseball cap, I had an identity, I had my six-pack, and I worked hard. There you go. I was a redneck. I had, I had arrived. You was a redneck, or are you still a redneck now? Well, I'm still a redneck. I'm just <laughs> a I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll get into that. So so what was the difference with the third DW? How mu- Well, how about this? How much were you drinking at the time, you know, when it started really turning on you? Oh, let's see. Um... I had my still, uh, and I used to drink a 12-pack a night and plus make my own beer. So, And I would go through a five-gallon homemade keg every week and a half. <laughs> you know, I oh, was wow. up there. <laughs> what was you the know. process like making your own beer? What? what oh, was... It, was fun. it was fun learning it, yeah. you know. And anytime you had a failure, well, that's why I had the still, because it would go into the still. <laughs> and you made your own moonshine. Yes. Oh, I love moonshine. I, I was making moonshine with a, well, my oh, body was making like moonshine. Take the pain off your car. <laughs> yeah, well, one 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 day after weeks of, you know, hanging out with my buddy and being his uh, taster, you know, and uh, I remember one time it was like, the cold, cold winter, and he had a keg and a steelhead modified for the top of the keg. Yeah. And he had a garden hose running to it so that, you know, as and it was all on like a turkey fryer. You following? Yep. So yep. the problem was this one particular day, the garden hose had frozen. Oh, so, so we're cooking everything off, and the vapors start coming out. And... um. We didn't realize at first that the garden hose was frozen, but all of a sudden we just see nothing but uh, steam, you know, like alcohol vapors, just pew. <laughs> and the turkey fryer was getting so hot it was melting its own base, and the keg oh, is tipping wow. over. So he runs out of the room screaming. Well, I run out with him, and I turn around, and I'm like, why don't I just turn this propane off? So yeah. I run back into the shed and I turn everything off. Well, he starts screaming at me, you know, and I I figured I just saved our whole batch. He had all this mash. He had, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he goes, next time you just run away, that could have all exploded. You know, and my best thinking was, well, shouldn't you be saying thank you? <laughs> so, I would have. So anyways, long story short, one of the only few times during that time period, my wife asked me, she said, would you please stop drinking moonshine? It makes you nasty. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it has a different, you know, because he would water it down for everyone else. But I got to have whatever I wanted right. in the mason jar. You know, mine was like at 130. Yep. You, know, you know, and I would taste the heads and the body and the tails you know, before we blended them all together, because at a certain point you were making stuff that was really only good for cleaning a car engine. Yes. <laughs> you know, when he said, "Don't drink it yet," so I said, "Okay," and I had my little bottle cap, and I was waiting for him to say, "Okay." Yeah. You know. And that was good to me. That was good times, you know. Well, so. of course, it's exciting. It's science. It's action. It it's is. Both. It's a whole process. Yes. So how long were you making moonshine for? 
Oh, a couple of years. And that was just for you? Yep. <laughs> that's that's my boy. <laughs> but eventually you stopped. You well, know. I mean, everything stopped with the DWI. I had to get rid of the still because probation has the right to come onto your property and investigate everything. So I figured it was best if I cleaned everything up. <laughs> All right, so what happens with this third DWI? Could you see it um, coming beforehand? Did you know things were going south? Uh, well, as soon as they arrested me, I said, oh, man, <laughs> you know, my well, life is over. Well, tell me the story. How it lead up to the arrest? Well, I don't even have. I don't even remember it. It was so long ago, and it's so faded okay. out. I just remember sitting down in the uh, trooper's barracks, and my wrist was chained to the wall, and my license was going over the desk for the third time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know the consequences, but I knew it wasn't going to be nice. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and at that point, the only thing left was to walk home and start drinking and try to figure out whether I had enough nerve to stick a bullet in my brain because uh, I knew my life was over. Well, uh, you thought so. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I we're did. talking, so. So what happened? Um, well, of course, I get... Uh, reprimanded by my mother and, you know, my sister and my family unit. And I didn't know they were talking behind the scenes of Tom's really bad. We're going to have to put him away. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know that part so much later. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was just an ugly process of waiting for the court date. Um, so I had to find work and you know, hitch rides and walk around feeling bad, waiting for the consequences. Yeah. Um, I'm drinking through that period, definitely. Yeah, but not greatly, just enough to maintain yourself because oh, okay. you can't get to the store to do mass quantities. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then the fateful day came where it was time for arraignment and my drinking buddy of 20 years drove me to the courtroom and... I had spent the night at his house, so because it was an early morning court date, and I bought a case of beer beforehand. He says, "Dude, they're going to take you away to jail." I go, "I know," and there's no beer in jail, so I'm going to make sure I got some now. That's good alcoholic thinking. That's great thinking. I love your yeah. thinking. You know, and I drank for 24 hours straight before staggering in before the judge's sentencing. Oh God. Yes, I did not sleep. I drank. And what did the and how did the did, did they know? Not walk in the courtroom. They said he said, "Dude, they're taking you out in handcuffs." Uh huh. I said, yeah, I expect so. You know, I had beer muscles. I was invincible. Like so, my life is over. I have no license. They're gonna put me in jail. Whatever. You know, what are you going to do? Shoot me? Yeah. That wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. Please. <laughs> please do please do me the favor. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I was done. And and the judge's gavel came down and said uh, three years probation. 
And I went, what? <laughs> you know? You you were happy about that. Well, I was shocked about it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, like, I didn't understand it. It didn't compute. And I walked out of the, the judge's courtroom, and I, and then Carl says, how did you walk out of there? I go, with my feet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> He says, they should have taken you away. I go, well, they gave me three years probation. I got to show up there in three months. Let's go have a beer. You know, so that's how insane I am. So how, So what What happens next? I mean, how do you go from that point to anything positive? What? Well, uh, you know, I, I sat at home many a night with a six-pack and a shotgun and... We know that I'm a chicken shit, and the and the beer won. <laughs> right. That's the right. That's the short and sweet of it. Well, so. t- Tom, I know that feeling. Um, I know that feeling. You know. You know. You're hopeless. But you don't know what to do. Right. And so it's it's early so dryity. It's ringing Tom out. So it's like you have all right time to go to probation. So you have to arrange rides. Uh huh. You know feel like the lowest <laughs> lowest form of life on the earth and <laughs> so, so it was uh, a fantastic ugly education so at what point does some so at what point all right two questions right at what point do you even consider that you want to be sober and at what point does someone suggest a path to recovery because there's no way oh, you right. know how to be sober well uh that took over six months of going to probation and fighting them three times a week. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a smart ass. Mm-hmm. And I told the therapist straight out, this is nothing but absolute government manipulation. And if I read your books, I'd be as smart as you and I'd know how to use them against you. So just stop your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah. let's go around. Let's have a go at it. I was so bad that the first day of group, I walked in with a clipboard and a notepad, and all the guys that were there on DWI thought I was one of the counselors. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, we we thought he was a counselor. I go, no, I'm just writing it down. So when they use something against me, I'm going to use something against them. I'm going to have a time date, a stamp, and a direct quote. So let's get it on. <laughs> oh, I'm a son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially with alcohol in me. Oh, no, you're not going to fuck with me. I'm going to fuck with you. Did you have to, did you have to pee? Like, did you have oh, to? Oh, yes. In absolutely. A cup? Oh, yes. Yeah. So how are you I, pulling that off? I didn't. I'd walk in the group the, the first month there, right? Uh, well, you came up dirty. I said, so? What are you going to do? Lock me away? I'll be out in six months or less. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm... No, no. <laughs> Read. No. Learn. You know, you're not going to threaten me. I am an arrogant, know-it-all drunk. You are not going to... Shoot me first before I give in. Absolutely not. So they would say, well, did anybody drink? Yes, I did. I'd raise my hand. I'd smack them right in the face with it. Yes, I did. What the fuck are you going to do about it? You can't do shit. The worst you can do is lock me away. 
Yeah. So lock me away. And what? What? And what did they do? Nothing. 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 You know. They didn't do a damn thing. So how long does this go on? Over six months. <laughs> and what happens at six months? <laughs> well, it's a process, you know. The right. longer you're away from alcohol, the more your brain wakes up. And within the first couple of weeks there, one guy was in there, and I don't remember his name, but we'll call him Fred, and said, well, Fred, how, how long did you last out there? And I, I looked up, I said, out there? What the hell do you mean out there? You know, that line and the knowledge of that statement didn't come to me till over a year later. Out there is out in the active world. Right. Oh, I didn't know that then. Right. You know, I didn't know there was such things as wet brain, Korsakoff syndrome. Uh, I didn't know there was rehabs. I didn't know there was halfway houses. I didn't know so much, but that was the education I was slowly getting while I was in probation that, oh my God, what do you mean he only lasted three months out there? Well, it seemed the guy got cut loose from probation for a DWI and three months later he got pulled over for another DWI and they were just waiting for a jail cell to open up for him. Gotcha. So that made me go, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, so now you're paying a little attention. Right, you know, I mean, that, that. I said, so I'm sitting in probation trying to be a badass, and the longer I'm dry, the less of a badass I am. So you started putting together days, weeks, little bits of time without drinking. Right, well, part of the con- uh, conditions of probation is you will attend a minimum of three AA meetings a week and get your little paper signed. Okay, so you even started attending Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Uh, very resistively, but I did. And what was uh, your first so and you, and what was your first couple experiences with that? Um, oh, it was fine. Uh, I mean it was a little rough, but I said, ah, it's not really for me. Uh uh-huh. you know. But it was interesting and I had to get my piece of paper signed. Right. So uh, you you you, you you had a reason to be there. The judge told you so. You showed exactly. up to the meeting. The people weren't terrible to you. No. No. So you didn't have any problem with the with the other people there. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I'm always looking for judgment. And st- you know, alcoholics are delusional. They think the whole world's against them. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't that bad. And some of the things they had to say kind of stuck a little but I was so resistive and I was so convinced that I was not an alcoholic of what they were describing that, you know, I went 89 days on two meetings a week just to keep probation off my back. Yeah, I mean, only an alcoholic can sit in an AA meeting and describe to themselves all the reasons that they're not alcoholic. Oh, yeah. My brother doesn't have to do that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it, it's, well, that's not me. I don't do that. Well, you know, until some of the things start to click. You were comparing right? yourself right out of the meeting every night. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. You know, until a little further along, about not quite uh, 
90 days in probation. This uh, Lady Carolyn used to come in the group to help us <laughs> alcoholics that didn't want to be helped. <laughs> uh, and she was a nice lady. And she came in absolutely torn up and crying. Right. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know this guy's name, but he changed my life. Um, not right away, but the residuals of it did. Uh, it seems that he had five years in the program. And at that time, I think I had a hot 85 or 87 days. You had uh, a real 85 days without a beer. Yes. A miserable time for you at that oh, time. Oh, just awful. Awful. <laughs> awful. No right? solution. Totally dry. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Didn't, didn't hear a word in Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me to read the big book from front to back, and I'm an asshole. I read it from back to front. <laughs> Just because I'm an asshole. <laughs> okay. So here, so here comes Carolyn, and here comes this. She's crying. Yeah, she's crying over this dude that had five years in the program, and he, he stuck a spike in his arm, and he shot up and died. And even then, you know, I went, who the hell does that after five years of being like this? You know, I said, it's bad, but is it worth dying over? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so you're, so your brain perked up and all of a sudden you're paying attention. Well, I'm starting to, to look like, you know, <laughs> there's things going on here. And, uh, two weeks before that, they took this guy who I'm still friends with Doug to, uh, the alcohol treatment center. I really believe my buddy Doug when he said that the beer cans probation found her in his apartment trash were his girlfriends. I mean, that's really believable. It is believable. But, but you know, if you're the alcoholic that can't put down a drink like we are, you're going to get caught. And they caught Dougie red-handed and away to the treatment center he went. Mm-hmm. So here I am, you know, hot 89 days. Dougie's in the treatment center. Carolyn's friend is dead. And I set myself a safe house up to drink because I'm not an alcoholic. What'd the safe house look like? Uh, my buddy <laughs> Phil uh, down the road where nobody knew I would be. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, but, you know. That was see, like me I'm, when I first was in early recovery. I would talk to my sponsor all the time about this perfect relapse that I was planning, you know. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, no, alcoholics know how to get around everything. Yeah, I it, I had it planned out to where I, I was, you know, going to, like, leave a note for my sister of where to pick me up on Monday to take me back to the villa. Yeah. You know, dumb shit. Yes. Well, I mean, it's standard alcoholic delusional thinking. Correct. <laughs> you know, and, and my delusional thinking was, oh, I always go to sleep after a 12-pack. Yeah. No. <laughs> I got down to beer number 10 or 11, and I went, I want more. Yeah. And I said, ooh, I can make it to Stewart's before they close. So I you can- went, so 87 days, you hear these things, and you decide you're, you're, you're going to the safe house. You got your 12-pack. Yep. You get 11 deep. <laughs> yeah, and I walk out of my safe house because my buddy had like five, six beers and said, I, I've had enough. I'll see you later. Uh-huh. And I'm, fin- I'm here 
I'm here to finish the count, man. You don't leave any soldiers not dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got up out of my safe house. I walked down to Stewart's, and that's when everything hit. AA, probation, Carolyn, Doug, everything hit my brain at once. Tom, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get a beer. No, no. What the fuck are you doing? You're drunk. You're on the street. You're in probation. If a cop comes up the road right now, he will wake up the judge and put you under the jail. Judges don't like getting woken up at 1135 at night. <laughs> they they really get upset about that. They'll give you a little something extra. <laughs> uh, so what do you do? I, well, I, I don't know what anyone else did, but I stared at that door and went, holy shit, I'm an alcoholic. Because I am, I am 36 years old. My life as I know it is gone. I am penniless. I am homeless. I am on the street. And I'm looking for another six-pack. What does that tell you? So that's the moment where you finally accept to, your, to, to that deep part of yourself. You gave yep. up fighting. Yep. You get, Well, at least you gave up fighting the fact of am I an alcoholic or not. Yeah. Yeah, the reality was too big. It was all all around me. The license was gone. The ha- the the only reason why I had a home is mom still let me come home. Um I was I I I am useless. I can't do anything. I can't earn a living. I I'm holy shit. My whole life has revolved around a beer can and I have absolutely nothing to show for it. So you're so you're halfway to Stewart. So what do you actually do? I start walking up the hill to my house. There you go. Now, I didn't realize it was the first miracle of recovery at that time. Right. But all roads in Ulster County were closed except for service workers due to an ice storm. I walked home four miles that night in freezing rain, and I never was cold. And it wasn't because of the alcohol. I just kept saying, holy shit, Tom, you didn't drink one and you want more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was amazement. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I did the typical alcoholic thing. When I got home, I dried off and brushed my teeth 47 times. Yeah, oh, yeah. Kept running to the window, paranoid out of my brain, looking for probation to show up. Took three showers. <laughs> yes. The first two. I used to do that before work in the morning. I'd take a shower. I'd look at myself. I'd say, oh, I need another shower. By the time I was done with the third shower, i just finished the beer and realized, you know what? Nothing's fixing this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But then a funny thing happened. It happened to be a Saturday. Okay. And I had gone to this little group in Kerhoxton called Another Chance Group. Okay. And this line from AA stuck in my brain. If you are lucky enough to be left alive from this disease, pick your ass up, put it in a brown paper bag, and bring it to a meeting. So you called somebody? No. Too arrogant, too proud. 
the meeting's only three miles down the hill. So I walked down. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, they're going to hate me. And I sat in the back in the corner, and they said, is anyone new or just coming back? And, of course, everyone had known me. I had been coming, but I'd been avoiding contact and shaking hands and coffee and all that shit. And I raised my hand and said, yeah, I'm Tom. I'm an alcoholic. I got one day back. And I thought they were going to ask me to leave. And they all applauded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. And I broke. I broke down and cried. Yeah. Of course. Now, now was it all roses and peaches from there? Oh, fuck no. Absolutely not. And, oh, you know, no, to but, someone that's never been through it before, absolutely not. Well, that's a hell of a good place to start, though. It was mine, you know. <laughs> I, I've I've broken in the parking lot of an AA meeting before, and thank God for the people that were there to pick me up. Oh, yeah. You know. It's home for me. Yes. Yes, it is. No. So, all right. So, something's different. So, now what do you do? Oh, well, I went to the meeting. Well, it, it was, you know, that was only the, the first beginning of, of the transition into sobriety because once you realize you feel better and you're okay from it denial wants to come right back in oh you know? yeah oh yeah less than a week later i'm going god damn it i'm not an alcoholic <laughs> yeah yeah ellie calls those drive-by thoughts and she says when they drive by she just waves at them and tells them to keep going <laughs> yes i like that right oh no i mean uh, it, it got so insane there for a few months that every time I'd, you know, I'd feel great when I was in the meeting and no sooner I would get outside the door and this rage would come over me going, God damn it. I don't want to be an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, absolute rage <laughs> to the point it was exhausting. <clears throat> and I don't know, this is about six months into probation or more. And I was so emotionally exhausted from everything that I finally sat in this therapist chair and she goes, you look tired, Tom. I go, I'm shot. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. She said, well, when are you going to quit fighting? I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> when are you going to come over to the winning side? You're almost there. I said, what are you talking about? She said, did you know I was an alcoholic? And I go, no, now I will listen to you because you now know how hard I've been trying this. Mm -hmm. And that's when my recovery started. When I dropped the judgment against the therapist. Really? Yes. I've had a tough time in my life with therapists. You know, so I, I love that story. That hits me. You know, yeah. When when I dropped my judge, not that all therapy. I mean, the no, first therapy, my no, head no. was a fucking idiot. But yeah, lady, <laughs> no. you need to go back to school. This is me you're dealing with. So, <laughs> so do you start approaching your recovery any differently? Uh, no, just attitudinally. Uh, uh in, instead of looking for, uh, <laughs> well, you see, what you don't realize is in this process of finally accepting you know i'm a drunk i'm in probation 
you know, I may never see my license again. I can no longer worry about that. I have a bigger problem of how to live being an alcoholic. Uh huh. So I have to now start paying attention to everything. And I go to my little Ellenville AA meeting because that's all I could get to. And I sit in the hospital and there is the judge that took my license sitting across the table from me. In the meeting. In the meeting. And I said, oh, this is a fucking conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) They're everywhere. They're out to get me. Yeah. The whole town. (laughs) And it took another three months until old Joe said, you know, the only reason why I don't have a DWI or was ever arrested because I was a protected drunk. I was the judge. And I went, okay, now I'll believe you. (laughs) No shit. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew it was a conspiracy because here's the fucking judge keeping an eye on me. Yeah, meanwhile, he's one of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he had just retired at that point. He was just coming back. I didn't know that. I got the transition of the judges. Mm-hmm. So when my sentence finally did get computed, it was with another judge. But th- I knew it was a freaking conspiracy when the judge that took my license is that an aa meeting holy shit it kind of was a conspiracy tom it was the world conspiracy the universe conspiring to get you sober so you could help guys like me you know i don't know how much later you know well that's that's the whole premise of a drunk when when one sobers up he needs another one to keep him sober and going i know we're like spiritual vampires yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you should see me when a newcomer walks into the room, man. I light up oh. like Christmas. Yes, we all do. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I haven't been doing it a long time. I got to watch Saturday morning. Um, I won't say his name on the podcast, but it, I have this little meeting I go to Saturday mornings. I love it. It's just all these guys with like 30 plus years, and they all share a different message that I don't hear at other meetings, you know? And anyways, right. this guy... He uh, he's he decided to to take some service. He got his one year coin, you know, and I and I and I was so proud of him, you know, because oh, you yeah. don't see that many people grab a one year coin, not no. enough, anyways. And I told him how well, much it meant to me. I mean, to watch him come into this program and then a year later to be chairing a meeting, I mean, it could break you down. It could break a grown man down. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, you know, the the one line that's always gotten me through, because uh, (laughs) I've had numerous amazing experiences in AA, and I was trying to help this one guy get sober, and he goes, listen, I must read about 10 DWIs a week. How come we're not seeing any in here? I said, don't know that one. They ain't going. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, AA isn't for everyone, and I understand that, but it's definitely for me. Oh, it's definitely for me, too. So, so okay, I want to talk about how, because, and I can't believe we never mentioned this yet. Everybody knows you as awesome, Tom. Oh. So how do you get from that Tom to awesome Tom? Well, first, you know, because... There wasn't a time in the meeting where I didn't speak what was absolutely in me. 
Okay. When I first got to AA, I would say, if I ever get my license back, y'all are inv- invited for a free drink on me, and I don't mean apple juice. Mm. <laughs> That's where I started. Then after I dried out a while, <laughs> then I was known as Crybaby Tom because I cried at every meeting for two and a half years. <laughs> get out of here. Two and a half years. Get out of here. I couldn't control my emotions. Yeah. I so ripped up from alcohol that I had no rheostat on anything. Mm-hmm. A drunk would tell a, a story, I'd cry. Uh, over identification. Okay. I yes. did too. Uh, yeah. And then years ago, there used to be this beginner's meeting that uh, read the Living Sober book over in Gardner. And Refrigerator Bob and I used to attend that. And I couldn't figure out why all the old timers were in the meeting. Yeah. Right. And then. Yeah, please tell me because I haven't figured it out myself. Because well, that beginning... the energy of the newcomer. It's helping the newcomer. Yeah, there is nothing like early sobriety. This is this is where your your guts meet the road. This is where you puke, cry, and sob, and get ready for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh-huh. You know, this is the front line. Um, and there's an energy and an honesty and an exchange that is. Not found anywhere else on the planet, and and we old timers live off of it because if we forget and get too far away from it, most likely we're doomed to repeat that all over again. Right. And and we've seen it done that way. So that's those are the two big reasons. Anyway, how did I get to Awesome Tom? Well, my aunt left me a pile of money of which I promptly went through. But they always said in AA, if your ass falls off or turns to gold, you pick it up and bring it to a meeting. And I was uh, populating the uh, beginners meeting over in Gardner regular. And they used to go around the room and ask what kind of day you had. And if I had a bad day, I'd say, ah, fucking lousy day. You know, but since uh, all of a sudden I was blessed with some inheritance. Your ass turned to gold. I had an awesome day. Uh huh. <laughs> and I used to say that every week, like you know, for for a couple of years there, my life was fucking awesome. And at the beginners meeting, it's like, yeah, I went to work, I got money in the bank, bills are paid. It's like I had a freaking awesome day. Yeah. So I did it so long that everyone says, "Oh, here comes that fucking asshole, awesome Tom." <laughs> Man, but Tom, you still do it now. Oh, I know, but. It it reminds me that life is awesome. Is and it? it reminds me that no matter how bad it is, you can still find it. See, I read that in uh, Awaken the Giant by Anthony Robbins. Okay. I mean, this gets back to early therapy when the uh, therapist first said, look in the mirror and say you love you. I said, I can't even say I like you. You know? She says, well, try that. I said, okay, we'll do that. I'll get up till I like you. I couldn't even look myself in the mirror and say I like you. But I was I read a lot of self-helps and you know, we AAs tread innumerable paths on a quest for a faith that works. <coughs> and I remember the one line from uh Awaken the Giant. You are an awesome being. 
say you are awesome. I said, I can't say that. Wait, really? 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 Yes, you are an awesome being. You are not just a collection of molecules. You are a miracle of the universe. You are awesome. And I went, I'm awesome. And so that tied in with having an awesome day. And that, oh no, if you get into the the zen of all this and, and all these alternate self-help books, this shit is awesome, baby. And I've lived the drunken life and the misery and finding the happiness and the positive and new ways of looking at things. It's far better. And when I meet another drunk, it instantly becomes awesome. The energy exchange of another drunk is always awesome to me. It invigorates me. It makes me happy. It makes me happy too. Yes. Yeah, it does. Another fellow traveler who has been beat up, screwed up, messed up, and is still alive. Yeah, we paid our ticket to get into the show. We might as well enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. It was an expensive ticket. Well, not only that, the newcomer, it pisses off the newcomer so bad to say, you have an awesome day, but it puts a bug in your brain yeah. to say, well, how can I have an awesome day? Yeah, no, I mean, it, that, that was my experience meeting you. There's two more things I want to talk about with you. Yes. And they're related. It's like the same thing. Um, so, you know, you became popular at this... Um, at, at, the, at a group that I now go to, a beginner's meeting I go to, and you would always, you know, talk about things that are really helpful for people in early recovery, right? Yeah. Just drying out, just shaking off. Yep. And your thing is always halt, right? Yes. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I want to talk about that a little, but I want to talk about what my thing is, and it's kind of based off your story. You know what I found that helps me the most? No. That like really changed it because I had like relapse after relapse and it was just like I, I couldn't believe I didn't believe I believed I could get time, but I always believed something was gonna pull me back out and I believed every time it was getting worse. The way I felt I would get to that worst place faster, right? Yeah. And you know what the difference was for me? Is when I no. started putting other alcoholics in my car. And going places with them. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, a newcomer might not have a license. A lot of us don't wind up here with licenses. Yes. So I thought that if I could give advice to someone, it would be if you have a license, fill your fucking car with alcoholics. Oh, yes, absolutely. And if you don't have a license, get in. (laughs) Yes. So you famously would fill your car, right? Well, what had happened, um, in my experience, when I was first trying to get to meetings, it was, oh my God, it was so hard. I had to pay people to take me to meetings. Right. I mean, I couldn't find a ride. I mean, they used to say, oh, I'll let the hand of AA be a reacher. Hey, I need a ride. And they'd walk away. Right. And it was like, I, and once I really realized that being sober was the only way for Tom, I said, if I ever find anybody that needs a ride to a meeting, I'm going to make sure I take them. Right. I'm going to make sure I go out of my way. 
you know i i used to i used to drive 20 miles in the other direction to get someone to run back down state to get them to a meeting i mean i used to be crazy with it i burned out three cars doing that shit uh and stayed sober well because i'm an extreme alcoholic and uh but it kept me sober and it kept me sober at a very critical time um my longest lasting relationship was in AA. And when I broke up, I had a car full of newcomers. And the last thing I wanted to do was lead the AA charge. But I'm stuck with a car full of newcomers depending on me. Saved your I ass. I had to go, man. I you had have to, to go. show up. Yeah. Yep. It saved my ass. And I had Refrigerator Bob in the front seat going, let me know when Tom comes back. (laughs) (laughs) He knew I was fucked up, but I never stopped. And that's the whole thing. You can't stop. Can't stop. Oh, no. I mean, here here my ass is falling off emotionally. And what do they say? If your ass falls off or turns to gold. And you've had both experiences. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never knew your ass turned to gold. Well, yep. I didn't know you For then. A For a little while. For a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I know how money works. It goes. <laughs> so, all right. So, and I think I know the answer. But if you had one thing that you would tell someone in early recovery, one thing to help out, what would it be? Uh, that's why I came up with halt. <laughs> yeah. That's why I latched onto that. So what is that? Uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Okay. Don't let any one of those get out too far out of whack. It, it was like, I'll never forget in the hell in the hallway meeting when it was out in the hall. Yeah. <laughs> Refrigerator Bob and I first started that. <laughs> one guy says, I was suicidal all day until I had a ham sandwich. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's that serious. Yeah, it uh, is that serious. And people can yeah. die like that. You or, know? You, or pick I, up over it, especially in early sobriety. I heard this thing, and I've shared it twice at a meeting now, because I like it so much, where it's like, you know, your dog could pass away, you could stay sober. Your mom could fucking die, you could stay sober. You could get a divorce and stay sober. Break your shoelace and go out and start fucking drinking and doing coke again. Yes. They call it, you know, the breaking your shoelace thing. Yes. Yeah. We're fickle. Well, no. um, It it says, I forgot where, whether it's in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, where it says when asked of the time period when they were doing interviews with uh, Freud and Young, Uh that what what did the psychology community think of us alcoholics at the time and said that we were uh, childish, immature, and emotional, and boy, didn't we rail at that. And the reality is, you know, as much as I got upset with that statement as proven, well, I'm an educated man. No, you're not. <laughs> you, are, you are chemically rearranged, and when you are first trying out, you are an emotional mess. You know? Yeah. Uh, and some of us don't get too much better afterwards. But, you know, if you stay dry, you can get better in those departments. But um, some some choose to, some choose not to. It doesn't matter. You will improve if you stay away from the poison. 
uh, is the reality. Um, but that was a that was directly from the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. And as much as I have grown and prospered in AA, there's uh, still great wisdom, uh, even though it was um, kind of hackneyed and the verbiage at the time uh, yeah. is you know, tends to be stereotypical of that time period. Yeah, here he, here he, and thou, and wilt, and yeah, words that we're not used to. Right. But the language but, of the heart is there, if you yes. listen. Yes, you know, I mean, the, the, the drug is a lot older than our modern age. <laughs> yeah. So, um, drugs weren't really, doesn't sound like drugs were really a huge part of your story. What? No, not too much. Not uh, too much. I mean, there were some in there. Yeah, sure, uh, but it doesn't sound like they were as reliable as beer. Oh, nothing was as reliable as beer. Beer, man, beer was the solution to everything. You could count on beer. Drugs, you never knew, oh, what's this one, what's that one, how good or strong, or what's going to happen, but beer's beer. Yes, and whiskey is risky. <laughs> That's right. Um, So, real quick. Because I've taken a lot of your time, and Tom, I this has been amazing for me. I mean, I just appreciate oh, cool. it so much, so much, and I know there's so many people that are going to benefit from it. But well, um, I want to. Well, when you first said podcast, the the first thing that hit my brain was we avoid press, radio, and film, and I said, "Dude, if it helps one more alcoholic in today's day and age, there's stuff all over line. It's on every corner." Uh, this is a part of our society. Yeah. If it, if it can help one well, we're not person. using we're not using your last name. There's no pictures of our face. Right. Um, and I had a guy on last week who um, he actually had a radio program, a recovery radio program, and he contacted GSO to find out how GSO felt about it. Ah. And GSO said, you are not AA. You may benefit from AA. You can talk about AA, but you're not AA. You're not coming on here and saying this is an AA meeting, and this is not an AA meeting. This is two right. drunks talking to each other about how our life got better. Yes. Um, so that's where we um, are but still if, honoring if we, traditional life. Get language. a little closer. Yes, you can use my last name because it was in the Ulster County Freeman. Well, guess what? <laughs> I'm, your last name is Tom, and your first fucking name is Awesome, <laughs> and that's how I that's how I feel. But I want to fast forward all the way to this year, and you know, you, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, but you just had quite a quite an experience. You just had open heart surgery, right? Well, let's see. Uh, before that, I had to uh, separate from my partner because she was drinking. And the year before that, I had both hips replaced. And this year, I had open-heart surgery. So we hit the trifecta. Yeah, but every Tuesday, you still show up. And I, and when they ask how your day was, you still say it's awesome. Well, because I have no alternative to compare it to. And isn't it awesome that I survived all that crap? I know. <laughs> I think it's amazing. And... um. And I witnessed, I mean, we don't got to go into details, but I witnessed some little miracles before and after your um, surgery and how the world came together, you know, um, 
you know, you 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 told a story about an amends that came up after 20 years that you were able to make or maybe longer. Oh yeah. And people that came into your life to help you in a new form of recovery. I mean, they cracked your chest open and yes. sewed you back up. So, um, I just want to recognize that miracle. And I think that's part of my motivation for having you on is that, um, God forbid, you know, we live our lives one day at a time, but you know, a time that you're not around well, as difficult as life is. And just cause I've been sober 26 years doesn't mean that life still isn't difficult. Life is life, like Refrigerator Bob said. I still got car breakdowns. I still have house maintenance. <laughs> I still have stuff that doesn't go Tom's way, right? Mm-hmm. But the miracles of, of the support, you know, of food when I need it. Oh, my God, the community around me was just over the top with help, you know? The, the miracle of my best friend moving in. All right, you don't know, but... <clears throat> I've stayed in touch with this guy that I've been friends with since I've been five years old. Okay. And Mark is now disabled. He's 65. He can't work. He's a heart patient. And three months before I was due for surgery and that got canceled. And then I had to redo everything. And my life was in a, in a, in a mess and a chaos from, Patty leaving and just recovering from hips and trying to keep things going and blah, 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 blah. Right. And Mark says, Tom, I got to, I got to find section eight housing and sell everything I own. And I said, no, you don't. I said, put your stuff up at my campsite, move in with me until your section eight comes through. I said, they won't let me come home unless I have someone here. I said, move in with me. Meaning they oh, won't let. Meaning they won't let you come home from the hospital after your surgery. Right, right. And he says, "Oh, I can't move in with you." I said, "Well, it's an option, right?" So now I'm running around trying to figure out options, and then Mark finally breaks down. He says, "Okay, dude, <laughs> if you got a room for me, I'm I'm ready." I said, "Cool, anytime." So I spent a couple of days cleaning up the side bedroom where Mom used to stay in, and. And he moved, and he got. He drove me to surgery. It's it's best roommate ever. And here we reconnected after being apart for I don't know thirty years. You're able to be there for him, and when you come out of this surgery, and because of him, I was able to come home and recover. And I'm going back to work tomorrow. You're going back to work tomorrow. Yes. Amazing. Yes, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, awesome continually happens. You just got to see it. You just got to pay attention. Yes. It's at every corner. It's a, it's waiting our every move. Well, Tom, I think this has been awesome, and I really, really appreciate it. And also, I just like talking to you. Yeah, I love talking to you too, buddy. <clears throat> All right, brother. Well, I think this is a great place to leave it, right? Is there anything else okay. you wanna you wanna give to the uh, listeners? Well, I or wasn't really of a bad place to leave it, but okay. <laughs> what What'd you say? I said I really wasn't thinking of a bad place to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're not leaving it in a bad place. Right. <laughs> so, 
right, well, it's great being your friend, brother, and I love you, and I'm glad you're well. You too, buddy. All right. Campus. (laughs) All right, see you on campus. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go. Hey, that's episode six. We're rock rocking it. It's Willie Show Podcast. Continue to write those emails that we love so much. Willie Show Podcast at gmail.com. Please check us out on Instagram at Willie Show Podcast. And pretty, pretty, please tell your friends about the podcast. You know how sad I get when I check these analytics every five seconds and nobody's been listening, man. I freak out. I freak out, man. So unfreak me out. Please, y'all. Thank you to Awesome Tom. Thank you to Gregory. What the hell is wrong with Uncle Danny? Something's going on. We're going to crack the case. We're going to get down to it. We're going to get through it. I think I'm just going to go get my linoleum out. Start doing some back spins. Get a little up rock. It's time to bring back the break dancing. That has nothing to do with podcasting. Listen. I'm not giving up on this podcast, so please don't you give up on this podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Nice.